welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. All right, so this week's episode is kicking off a new series for us. It's a mini-series on creators, which we are picking up from the one that we did last year, uh, about a year ago exactly. And uh, Tim, you started off this four-part series by speaking with YouTube creators Colin Rosenblum and Samir Chaudhry um, about their their lives as creators, full-time creators. I guess, why did you want Colin and Samir on as guests for this week? Yeah, so, I mean, they're kind of, you know, perfect guests for kicking off this series because not only are they creators th- themselves, but they're YouTube channel, Colin Samir, is focused on creators and their creator economy. Um, they also have a podcast talking about creators in the creator economy, and then a newsletter, the published press, talking about creators in the creator economy. So we were able to talk about you know, their own experiences and work and businesses as creators, but then also just what they're seeing and hearing and covering the creator space in general. Yeah. All right. So kind of like a, a meta kickoff to this creator series. Um, so as we did last year, each episode is going to have a different kind of platform focus. So each of our creator guests are going to be native to a different platform um, with the following week's episode, um, next week's episode being with a TikToker. So this is a very meta kind of conversation kickoff to the creator series, it sounds like. I'll let you guys get into that and I'm excited to hear more from them. Cool. Thanks, Kayla. Colin Samir, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So stoked for you guys to be the first guest for this series we're putting together on creators, because not only are you both creators, but you also have a channel and a podcast and a newsletter covering the creator economy. So we get to talk to you about both your own experiences as creators, but then also the trends and developments that you're seeing in talking with other creators and covering just what's going on in this world. Um, But one thing we're looking to do with each creator we have on as part of this series is start off by talking about like what a typical day looks like. That's tricky because I don't know to what extent there's actually a typical day for creators, but I think it helps to dispel the idea that creators are just people who are filming themselves in webcam with webcams or doing dance videos on TikTok. I think there's still that perception looming that oh, YouTube, TikTok, all this is just user-generated content, that a lot of this isn't actually professional content when it is professional content. So um, Samir, starting with you and then Colin, and I imagine there's a lot of overlap with it, but to what extent do you even have a typical day and, and what does that look like? Well, I'll say that, you know, for us, we've always operated like this, but we actually, we have an office. Um, and in that office, we have six people who work full-time in that office. So we keep pretty regular hours in an office. We come in in the morning, typically everyone's in by 10 a.m. and then we're out, you know, between six and seven. So I would say that is what is standard in a day, is that we're all coming into an office, uh, we're working on a variety of projects and we're leaving. And so just to give you, you know, a high level, that that's not what every creator's business looks like, but that's how we operate. And a lot of that is because we produce a show. And that show is produced from our space. Um, And so no matter what, our highest priority every day is to produce a best-in-class show for the next Monday. So whether that's post-production, production, production, um, you know, working on the sponsor read, um, working on sales to support the show, 
everything goes into, you know, our, our marquee show. And then, you know, once that priority is taken care of, then it filters down to our different media properties, whether it's social properties, the newsletter, the published press, our audio only feed. Um, and then after those, after our owned and operated, then we start looking at, you know, stuff like this, right? Appearances, um, speaking engagements, anything like that. So Colin, I'll kick it to you. Like for that, was that always the case for you guys? Or, I mean, you've been at this for, I think this is like your 10th year. Like this is technically the 10 year anniversary of the lacrosse network launch in which Samir, you started, Colin, you joined and then sold to Whistle. And then you all went off to do your independent thing. But Colin, like to what extent is having kind of a schedule in a typical, like normal working hours at this point, that's somewhat rare for creators or like was rare historically, I think is maybe becoming more the norm these days. Yeah. The fact that we come into an office and we have a team, I think has less to do with the fact that we produce a show that requires that team and more to do with the fact that from a lifestyle perspective, Samir and I require it. And it's a part of our history. When we first started working together, you know, we were in an office and I was technically his employee and that was the basis of our working relationship, was that truly we're here, we're building a sports network. It was not your stereotypical idea of what a creator business may look like where someone just takes an Instagram story or does a TikTok dance. You know, for us, it's always been building a company and, and leading with that as opposed to necessarily just like filming and editing and putting it something on the internet. I think actually, Tim, that that largely has to do with the fact that when we started 10 years ago, there was no comps, there was no roadmap. And so the only comp was like a television network or a traditional media company. Um, And I think we almost felt like we were a production company or an ad agency at the time. And it's still almost kind of what you feel like today. You're producing something, you're working with clients, you know, like it is what that feels like. But I think largely it's because in 2012, when we started that the term creator didn't exist. The term YouTuber barely existed. Um, it was not a career. So you had to mirror traditional, you know, legacy businesses. And that's all we knew. Uh, so there, there wasn't that culture of, you know, you could be anywhere in the world or you could be remote. Remote work wasn't as popular at the time. Like, you know, it was 10 years ago. Yeah. I felt like the fact that we were on YouTube, our faces were on the channel. The fact that we even had a channel was just a tool in our toolkit that was a part of our much bigger company. I had no idea what it meant to just be a YouTube creator because like Samir said, there was so little transparency around what that even looked like. Right. And I mean, it's also something where, I mean, a lot of creators, I think increasingly more creators are coming around to the idea of these are, you know, one or two people, media companies largely, or at least they're effectively the CEOs of their own media companies. And um, I remember talking to Alicia Marie, this would have been, three years ago, I'm guessing, because it was pre-pandemic and that's the only timeline that I know of these days. Um, But like she had the burnout, she had to take hiatus. And what she realized was, oh, I need a manager. And like for some people that may seem like an obvious thing, but I think for a lot of creators, there isn't that recognition of like, I need a team around me. Yeah. I think for us, we were lucky to have two of us. And when you look at the roles that we've played historically and that we still play today, you know, I've, I've always played the role of kind of business operator, entrepreneur, um, more on the, the, the management and business side and Colin more on the creative side. But I would say in this most, you know, recent iteration, 
we, the most important role for a creator is to bring in someone who has an operational mind, like to, to actually understand how to develop process around what you're doing, how to organize what you're doing. I don't know that people recognize that as a single or double person media company, a lot of times we're doing the, the, the same amount of work as a traditional media company, but just us too, as, as you know, the primary leadership, but we're also the product. We're also the, um, you know, creative directors were, were also the producers. Um, and it, it can get extremely challenging. I think bringing in some level of operational support is required when you actually find, you know, what we'll call content market fit. And when you're actually developing into a business, it's required. I don't know yet if the structure has been solved. I've seen a lot of creators now bringing in-house and hiring, you know, a head of operations or a director of operations rather than going the traditional management route. So I still think that there's some, you know, there's some solving to do in the creator economy around how that is going to build. But the people who do want to build like a media company, a lot of them are hiring people in-house. And so what was the point for you guys when you realized, oh, we need a team to be working with us, that it, you, the two of you can't be doing everything or that's not the best use of your time? You know, w once we moved on from the lacrosse network and started this journey as just Colin and Samir, you know, we went from having a team at the lacrosse network to being by ourselves. And we went through three to four years of sort of struggling to find our identity, struggling to find out what our business was. Uh, all the while, we're still putting out a lot of creative output. And that's kind of how we define burnout is, you know, creative output without direction. And that's where we were for about three to four years. And that meant that I'm editing in my bedroom, you know, long hours for two weeks to put a video out. The video doesn't do well. And Samir, have to, Samir and I have to huddle up and figure out how to change it. And Samir is editing too. And it got to the point where truly coming into 2020, it wasn't even an option for us to continue the way that we were continuing because we didn't want to live that lifestyle. Well, didn't and, you officially like quit? Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of 2019, Samir and I made that decision to, you know, continue uploading to the channel, but not look at it as a business. And, you know, I, after having been in Los Angeles for eight years, moved back to the East coast, both of us were looking for jobs and what it came down to was, you know, when we set out and started the Colin and Samir channel, the goal was not to become a production company. And that's how we were funding ourselves. We were doing production projects and we kind of had it. We got to the point where, you know, that's, that's not the goal. That's not the dream that we had. So if it doesn't look like it's going to happen, it's time for us to go separate ways. And it was obviously like very amicable. Um, but that's kind of the reality that we came to at the end of 2019. There was a lot of like financial realities there too. <clears throat> you know, like I, uh, I have our 2019 PNL and, you know, we were $18,000 in the hole. Um, we were doing freelance production projects, getting paid very little to do them. And that's what was funding the channel. And so what we were doing is we would, you know, do video work to make money. And then when we were done with that video work, we would start making our own videos. We were already exhausted by the time we were making our own videos. Our own videos didn't have any traction. There was no advertising. Uh, we didn't even really understand what we were making. Um, and that caused a lot of, you know, challenges. And when we decided to, to, you know, move on from the channel. What was interesting was we made a video like announcing that we had, we were, we had quit, um, but we never published it. And 
I think both of us knew this was our dream. It was our dream to be creators. I mean, we had full-time jobs when our company got acquired, making YouTube videos, working with athletes and bringing them onto YouTube. It was fantastic. We had high salaries with benefits, but we had this dream of being independent content creators. And it was a really big challenge to to quit and, and move on. And, um, you know, obviously the universe had something else in the cards. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I mean, you mentioned, uh, or no, you all did a video last year where I think it was like in March 2021, you had made more money in that one month than you made in like all of 2019. And, and maybe that's just AdSense, I don't remember like specifically, but obviously like, spoiler alert, listener, things turned around. Yeah. What was <laughs> yeah. that like turning point, like in January, February, 2020? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I mean, uh, hundred percent. The turning point was we got an annual contract from Samsung, uh, to join their team galaxy and, and become ambassadors to the brand. And to just take a couple steps back around how we, how that happened. Um, you know, while we were creating throughout the years of trying to solve this, which was about three years from when we left the company to trying to figure out if this was anything, um, in those three years, we started to recognize that there was there was a few things that were incredibly important, not only to you know YouTube channels, but really any business. First was you know hyper defining an audience. Our first foray into YouTube was the lacrosse network. It was a super niche audience. We were making content for lacrosse players. We grew up playing lacrosse. We knew what kind of content that audience wanted to watch. And as we started to grow, we realized we wanted to make content for people like us. Uh, we wanted to make content for creators. And so we figured that out. And then we had to figure out what was the value prop of that content? What did we want to do? And what we recognized is we wanted to educate and empower them. So a lot of times what we try and think about is, okay, we want to um, make a certain group of people feel a certain emotion. And so for what we developed was, okay, we want to make content creators feel educated, feel empowered, feel less alone. We want them to feel a sense of community. And we were making content that was hitting that. So Throughout that process, we were able to meet people who had the same mission. And some of those people who had the same mission were brands, brands like Samsung. And because they had that mission and we were mission aligned, that's how that was able to come together. Um, and that was the big turning point for us was, was getting a call from them in 2020 when Colin had already packed up his stuff and moved across the country um, to, you know, work with them and, and uh you know, really get get a, a contract that gave us the financial foundation to actually give this a real go. And then how did you think about like, okay, we're going to have a channel covering the creator economy, talking to creators, because I mean, that, that kind of happened in process. And it felt like 2021 was like something switched with you all in 2021 around the time of, I think it was the MPABHD interview. Yeah, I think, you know, a couple of things happened there. Number one, in 2020, the word creator economy became this huge buzzword. It became a thing. I think just by nature of the pandemic, you have all these people at home. Traditional media companies can't produce the way they used to. And now we're all on a level playing field where essentially everyone is creating digital content and TikTok is taking off. So you have people who've maybe never experimented as a creator trying for the first time. And it's this acceleration platform where after six months, you have all these brand new top creators. And that was the first thing that changed. You know, we've been talking about the creator economy for years, but for the first time it felt like, okay, 
at the end of 2020, a lot of people are now interested in this and specifically in making it a career. They're interested in the industry of it. So that was the first thing. But when we got to 2021, something that Samir and I did was actually take six weeks off in the beginning of January. The reason we did that was because our process was not allowing us to create videos on a consistent basis. So it was great that we had that Samsung deal in 2020 and that gave us legs. But, you know, we were still making videos that were extremely difficult to pull off. And even at the end of 2020, it got to the point again where it was like, we can't go on like this. Like, this is really not sustainable. Luckily, you know, we were able to bring on an editor and, and that helped majorly in 2020. But when we got to 2021, we truly had to figure out the process. And for us, what we started doing was testing this talk show style format. And we were putting out episodes on a second channel just to test. And those started to take off and they were low lift for us. We were able to get those out every week, no matter what. And that's when we just decided after a few weeks of putting out videos on the second channel to just make that the main channel. And that was the game changer. Once we got our process figured out, we knew who we needed to hire to help make the process even easier. We then could guarantee to brands that we had an upload every Monday. We could tell the audience we were going to be there every Monday. And we could finally start to build a community off the back of that consistency. So for us, figuring out that process in the beginning of 2021 was everything. And the main reason I think we attribute the recent growth that we've had. Yeah, we were... We were existing in this space in 2020 where we would have some videos that would hit, they would get a million views. And we were like, oh, that's awesome. We would try and reverse engineer that video and we couldn't. And we were like, how did we make that? And what was the formula? And then we would kind of go a little nuts and, and me being on the business side, I would turn to Colin and be like, how do we, like creatively, how did you do that hmm. in the edit? And he'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> what and then, was this magic? Yeah. And then we would turn to the editor that we hired and he'd be like, what do you want me to do? And we were like, we don't know, right? We don't know. We don't know how that worked. So the scariest thing as a content creator, I think is a viral video because everyone comes to you for that style and you, you might not know how to recreate it. And so the, the thing that you start to recognize, if you want to have a sustainable career, you need to have a repeatable format and you need to build off of that repeatable format. Now that we have the Colin and Samir show, which is you know a talk show format, when we have videos that hit, we can actually take a look and say, cool, that's how that process went. And every week we're essentially evaluating and reviewing the process with our team. And as Colin mentioned, you can actually, when you have a foundation for a process, you can slot in team members. So we started to realize, all right, we, we have this, you know, our editor, he's also an audio engineer. Amazing. He, this is perfect because we have a podcast and a talk show. Uh, so that works. And he was able to kind of figure out how to film it. Okay, awesome. Now I think we want graphics. Ooh, we need someone to do graphics. Now, you know, I think we want to add a little bit more B-roll. Ooh, now I think we want to do some more storytelling here. So we need actually like a writer in the beginning. And every week, the process is getting refined by our team. Uh, but that's what's turned us into an actual media company. And I think some of that is exploring this, this um, you know, this difference between an artist and a distributor. And the way we think about it is when you first start as a creator, you have something you want to express and you want to express an idea and you just have to get it out. And that's what an artist does, right? An artist has an idea, they want to express it, they want to get it out. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, 
is a distributor. You think about the studio executive who's looking at, you know, hey, you know what? We should make another Spider-Man because people are going to buy tickets to that and they're going to sit in a theater. As you grow into the career of being a creator, if you do want to be and operate like a media company, you have to actually slide a little bit over towards the distributor side. And you actually have to take a step back and say, you know, what what's going to get butts in seats? And I think that building a process allows you to start to realize, okay, here's our constraints. We make a talk show. Now, how do we layer on top of that and ensure that every Monday there's butts in seats? Um, that's that's how we have to operate. And And as a team, we get to look at that process. And if something works, we get to pull the pieces of that process that worked really well. And if something doesn't work, we get to look at that process and say, what was broken? What do we need to change in that? We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I mean, in a way, each video that you create and then upload is something of a bet. And so then, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I've seen rounders probably way too many times, but it's like (laughs) you're either Kanish or you're Worm. And ideally, you could be kind of Mike McD somewhere in the middle, but that gets a bit challenging. And so like you all have the format, you have kind of that reliable baseline. How do you think about like the bigger bets you want to make, the bigger videos? Because you all have talked before about like wanting to do documentaries. Um, You've had Mr. Beast, Jimmy Donaldson on your show, and obviously he does massive videos where it'd be hard to like describe them as having a format other than a lot of money going into a big production. Well, I think Jimmy is actually, you know, the, the legacy format of the game show reimagined. So I think a lot of what we see on the internet today is, you know, a a legacy format reimagined. Um, you know, when I was a kid, you used to watch who wants to be a millionaire with my parents. Now kids watch Mr. Beast. Right. And so I think that's uh, there, there's a version of that. And what we're doing, you know, we're a talk show. Talk shows have been around forever. Um, and so I think we're reimagining everything for for, you know, the modern world. Um, I, I think to answer your question, though, when it comes to pulling off some of the bigger things and, and even having that desire inside to make documentaries and do things maybe outside of the confines of the talk show that we have, that's something where we actually listen to what Mr. Beast said. You know, in our interview with him, he says, if you focus on your videos and you make the best videos possible, the entire world will open up for you. And the biggest mistake that a lot of creators make is trying to do too many things at once. And for us, this format just started really taking off at the beginning of 2021. So our heads are kind of down. How can we make the best possible show right now every Monday? And as we start to figure out our process, we can actually integrate elements of documentary storytelling within the confines of this talk show that we have. And if we can just continue to build the base of this show, I think we're going to find ourselves in a position where we can free up time to eventually take on a project like that. Yeah. I would say we, we even look at, you know, like you look at our two hour interview with Mr. Beast and we're we're telling his full story there. Uh, Again, it's like, is that a version of a documentary? Are we documenting this space in real time? Um, and I think, the, you know, the answer in my mind is, is yes, there's a version of that. And additionally, you know, we're largely, we were, we were very inspired by Casey Neistat. And we just, you know, came back from South by Southwest where he premiered um, his first feature length doc. And it was awesome to watch. And a lot of that is, you know, he built off of a daily vlog, a, an audience base and, and um, you know, honed his storytelling craft and, um, 
you know, built up towards making a feature length documentary. And the subject matter is YouTube. And it's, for me, I look at that and I'm like, in 10 years, is that something we're going to be doing? I hope so. Um, you know, that would be awesome. So I think we can build towards that. But what Colin said is right. It's that right now we're only one year into the Colin and Samir show. We have to keep our, our blinders on and, and see where this show can take us. Also, in that instance, Casey made that doc, was able to make that doc because he had access. Like all of the great documentaries come down to do you have access to a great story? And I feel like that's what we're sourcing right now. It may take another five years, but we're building trust with creators and we're getting to the point where we will find that story that we want to sink into for an entire year and tell it in a long form. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, it seems some of the videos you all have been, even just like over the past few months, like you had the Emmer Chamberlain one yesterday. Um, we're recording this the week of March God, 21st. Um, and then like even, you know, what happened to Liza Koshy or, or when you had Lily Singh on the podcast and she kind of talked about like her entire journey. Like, are you thinking about like these as kind of not necessarily pilots, but there was um, someone I was talking to at a digital video network recently, and they were talking specifically about like YouTube originals and like the official like YouTube original shows, but like as those being kind of tests for them to be able to like get the reps, get the experience, and then go to be able to pitch a Netflix. And it seems like what you all are doing with the show and with some of these episodes for the show are very much documentaries. They're just a different length. They're not feature length documentaries. Yeah, I would say it's possible. Like, uh, of course, as filmmakers, you know, we have we have aspirations and, and dreams um, of producing different types of films. But I would also say it's so cool that we get to do this on our own platform. Like this is this is our space and our community and and our connection to our audience. And I think that's such a cool thing that you know, that we get to do. We get to pick the stories to tell and and, and put them out to our audience. Um, we have gotten a lot of cool opportunities to, to work with other platforms, other distributors, produce other shows. Um, and I think the time will come. But right now, I think it's focusing on building this platform and, and recognizing like we do have momentum right now, uh, but momentum's really hard to, to um, create and it's also really hard to hold on to. And so, you know, our... our, our we always say that creators are audience rich and bandwidth poor. And I think that, uh, you know, really taking care of our bandwidth and it's, it's really hard because on a weekly basis, you get offered to do such cool things, um, really cool opportunities. Um, and every day of the week is accounted for building up towards our Monday release. So how much can we deviate from, you know, a tr typical schedule? It's really hard. Um, so right now it's, it's all about focus. And it seems like the way that you all are set up with, you know, both having the talk show format, but that lending itself to, I can listen to it just as a podcast or I can watch it as a video. Like that helps because that's a two birds, one stone type of thing. But then you also have the newsletter and you've grown a team around that newsletter that where I think you both are taking on basically like editing roles for that, but you have at least one dedicated writer. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. And so like at what point, why launch a newsletter, you know, going back to this whole like bandwidth, you only have so much you know, time in a day. For us, I think what we recognize, everything is audience first for us. And what we recognized is between our audience and our value prop, where, do, where does that audience live and where are they looking for that value prop? And audio was a big part of it. YouTube was a big part of it. And inbox was a big part of that. So I think recognizing like where our audience lives was really important. 
written content was just something we had never explored before, but we both feel like writers. Like what we're doing with our show is we're writing. We're writing the stories that are happening. I mean, you know, we'll record a podcast for three hours and sometimes you'll only see 48 minutes of it and it's fully rearranged to make sure the story fits in a storytelling structure that that we feel like will be um, most engaging. And so we spend a lot of our time writing. Um, so for an, from a newsletter perspective, we also felt like it was a quicker way to get more stories out. So right now we're sending three times a week. We send, you know, three stories um, in each newsletter, and we get to cover a more diverse set of creators. On YouTube, we're releasing once a week, and we're also bound by the constraints of, of YouTube, which largely, you know, has to do with packaging, title, and thumbnail. Are people going, it, it, you can make the best video in the world, but if you don't have a good title and thumbnail and no one clicks on it, no one watches it. What's amazing about the newsletter is that it's a little bit more of a ritual-based consumption where people know when it comes, they open it, and they're interested in reading the stories because it's from a trusted source. Um, and so we're able to actually get more stories out there and cover more stories um, through the newsletter. I would add that the goal here is to create more creators. And we feel like the best way to do that is to provide curriculum around this career, which right now doesn't exist. Which we feel like we're really building. And to show a roadmap of how one creator became successful. If someone gets to fully learn that and hear about it, just the pure existence of it then means that they could apply it themselves. And so we can only do it once a week on YouTube. We basically just talk about one creator every Monday. So now with the newsletter, that's three roadmaps that go out on Tuesday. That's three that go out on Friday. And now we have a Sunday send. So if you're a creator or you're in the industry, all of a sudden you're trying to build your own career. There are so many different options that you're now getting every week that you can build your career off of. And I know like measurement attribution can be really tricky, but do you see any relationship or any ways in which the YouTube channel, the podcast or feed the newsletter and vice versa in terms of like your audience? And then like, I'd also like to get into just the, the revenue side of things. Sure. Yeah. I would say, um, you know, the newsletter growth, the thing that we really track on the newsletter is open rate. I mean, we're, we're excited about, you know, there's, I think right now we, we last week crossed 20,000 readers. Um, we're really excited about the open rates, really excited about the click through rates. Um, and it's definitely growing alongside the channel, you know, with the channel closing in on 700,000 subs, the channel has been in existence for a lot longer. And, um, you know, it's a different property. YouTube is all about search. Um, it's a search engine, right? So, you know, it's a lot more discoverable. A newsletter needs to be shared, needs to be forwarded. Um, we can tell you to subscribe to a newsletter, but if you don't want to get a newsletter, then we actually are really concerned about open rates. So we don't want you to subscribe, right? Um, and so for us, we're, we're happy with the pace that it's growing. And I think that it's a different type of audience. And I think that one thing that everyone should always in, in the media business recognize is not, not every view is created equal. Not every impression is created equal. You know, the impressions that come from our newsletter are very different from the impressions that will come on audio, very different from impressions on Instagram, very different from impressions on YouTube. And so building this filtration system where, you know, we can have ideas and they can go through this filter of saying that would make a really good YouTube video, or that would be a great story in the published press, or that would make a really good tweet. That's kind of how we have to think. And we have to think audience first, 
um, and value prop. Is, is this for the right audience? Is it for a YouTube audience, for a newsletter audience? Um, and then is the value there? And then like, so income streams or your revenue streams, I think advertising is probably the biggest one, but you also like do courses and you sell courses and you've played around with NFTs a bit, but I don't know to what extent that's like, that's the third leg of our stool, but what are the revenue streams for y'all right now? I want to take you through just uh, our AdSense over the last three years. I took some notes on this because I think it'd be interesting. Um, So in 2020, the whole year of 2020, we made $16,000 and we did 5.6 million views on the channel. And this is, this is AdSense, uh, which is, you know, what YouTube pays you you on the platform. In 2021, we made $109,000 on 107 million views. And so far, three months into 2022, we've made $45,000 on 73 million views. So, you know, if you're listening, you're probably thinking, okay, didn't these guys say they have a team of six that works in their office? Didn't they say they live in LA? Didn't they say they live in LA and rent a space? So, you know, um, AdSense is not not at all our, you know, sole source of income. Um, It is primarily advertising and sponsorships. We are a partnerships-based company. Um, I would say right now that makes up 98 to 99% of our revenue uh, is is advertising. Uh, Every episode of our show is sponsored through Q3 and uh, just about every send of our newsletter is also sponsored through Q3. Um, And so we have, you know, we've we've invested a lot in our partnerships. We've invested a lot in, in making sure that our process is dialed and such that we have a consistent flow of content that's hitting a certain um, amount of viewership and, and more importantly, hitting the same audience. Um, and then that we have relevant partners that, you know, is it, that the audience can actually drive value from and that the, the advertiser also gets value from being a part of the show. So the, the same kind of growth rate that you see in our AdSense, I would say our sponsorship dollars have matched that growth rate. Um, you know, to, to help us support growing a company. Right. And then obviously like you're able to get that stability with your good through Q3 and then generally the you know, working with the brands directly is more lucrative. Um, but how do you think about, I mean, you know, 98% advertising and sponsorships, how are you thinking about diversification? Um, especially cause I mean, there's so many opportunities for creators. There's affiliate, which especially if you're a financial creator, that can be a lot of money. And then, you know, over the past few years, we've had companies like Jelly Smack and Spotter that are just like, hey, we'll give, we'll back up the Brinks truck if you give us rights to your catalog of videos. I I think the biggest thing we've done to diversify is launching the published press. You know, even though it is advertising based right now, that's an arm of our business that, like you said, we don't write and it's not our name. So for the Colin and Samir brand, we have to show up to everything. We're very present in there. And of course, we're present in the newsletter, but that can run without us. You know, and that, that audience is purely there for the value that's within the newsletter. And so I think when it comes to diversifying, that's the most impactful move we've made to date because that brand offers us a future where one day maybe we stop making videos, but that brand still gets to give the value and create revenue. Yeah, I would say that, you know, we break up creator business into two sides, right? One is like the business to business side. That's when you as a creator are working with another business. So, you know, advertisers, let's say you just brought up Jelly Smack. They're one of our um, advertisers on the show. Um, 
you know, we work directly with Jelly Smack on that, you know, Shopify, another sponsor of the show. Um, so th- those type of sponsors we're working with on a B2B level, even AdSense is B2B, right? It's us being a good partner to YouTube and, and, and um, providing value to YouTube. On the other side, of course, a lot of creators build massive direct-to-consumer brands. So you mentioned the course that we sold. Um, you know, that's something we made in 2020. Super fun experience. Uh, we sold it for $100. We had a partner in it. Um, I think 1,100 people have bought the course to date. So really good, you know, cool opportunity, very fun experience for us, and and really cool way to build a direct-to-consumer product. There's a world where we do go all in and, and build more of an educational platform. I would say right now, our again, our focus is all on the show, and the show is supported by advertising, and that's that's where our focus lies today. We did do a very successful NFT project in April where we sold a one-of-one NFT. I think there's a little bit of that, but I, this all comes back to right now, just like being bandwidth poor and and trying to you know build. And I think again, like entrepreneurs and people who are listening to this are like, well, then just hire more people. Um, but one of the biggest challenges is that being Colin and Samir, um, management, be, balancing management with being a creative, uh, unbelievably challenging. I didn't. I personally never thought it was going to be as challenging as it is today. Um, but it's, it's unbelievably challenging. So I would say that, you know, we want to hire more people. We want to build into having a direct to consumer side with, you know, whether it's merchandise or courses or, um, you know, recognizing what we could do in crypto right now. There's just, there's every day, there's a new opportunity. Um, right now it's about focus. Right. Yeah. And like one of the more immediate opportunities and and more in line with the video stuff that y'all are already doing is, this short form vertical content, TikTok, shorts, reels, you all are experimenting with this stuff. And obviously with like, you know, Hank Green did the video, I think two months ago at this point, talking about like these creator funds are not really sustainable. And I think everyone understood that. Um, But at the same time, and you all have had people on your show talking about how shorts is driving subscribers. We, I talked to Omar Raja from ESPN last year. And he was saying for, I think it was a sports nation YouTube channel and his own YouTube channel, they've gotten subscribers purely just from shorts. At that point, they hadn't done any long form YouTube videos. And so how much time are you investing into shorts? And is that something where you're looking for that to be generating any revenue directly for you? I would say we're looking at shorts very seriously. We're investing a lot of time in YouTube shorts. Our goal right now is to get out three shorts a week on our main channel. And while we're not looking at shorts to be directly monetizable, they are driving a ton of growth for us. I mean, we posted on Twitter today, we had a long form video that took four to five weeks to make that drove 10,000 subscribers and a short form video that took maybe three hours to make that drove 15,000. You know, and what we're seeing is we're, we're, we're driving massive growth and the value prop of a short form video is the same as one of our long form videos done in different ways, but it's still there to educate and empower creators. So if you're interested in that and you see a 22 second piece of content from us and you subscribe, once we release one of our longer form videos, it should be something you're interested in as well. So there, it's a really dynamic pairing for us right now between short form and long form. Yeah, I would say that, you know, as I mentioned in 2020, we did 5.6 million views total on the channel. Uh, in 2021, you know, 109 million. Uh, the, 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 a lot of the, the you know, big growth, we had a single short that did 21 million views. Um, so 
you know, there's, there's a lot of growth opportunity there. I think as any entrepreneur, if I told you there's a way, uh, for you to access 20 to 30 million people a month and get your brand in front of them, um, you'd probably take it. And so I think that's, that's how we look at it. Like as, as someone who looks at what we're doing as, as a product, you're saying, how do we get our product in front of more people? Um, that's our way. It's, it's a lower barrier to entry. Um, you know, we have a specific team member whose sole role is short form content. Um, we're investing in it and, and, you know, it's also providing us this cool opportunity to release MVPs where we can release, you know, subject matter in a short form video and say, Ooh, that, you know, that, that hit the audience is interested in that topic. Okay. Let's turn that into a long form video. And so then you kind of like have these tiers set up where the shorts do that for the YouTube channel. And then the YouTube channel can eventually be doing that for like feature length docs. That's right. So as I think is probably pretty clear from this conversation, you both have a pretty clear focus in terms of what your priorities are, what you're spending your time on. So as we finish up here, like looking ahead through the rest of 2022, is there anything big that you both are really prioritizing or focusing on that we haven't hit on or that you're expecting to see other creators really focusing on given like how tapped in you, you are with like the broader creator set? Um, we covered this in, in our most recent video about Emma Chamberlain stepping away from the platform. But, you know, we, we talk about this thing called the paradox of permission. And, you know, today, in today's world, we're living where, as a creative, you can make something and just put it out. That didn't used to exist. When I was, you know, younger and I dreamed of, of being a filmmaker, that meant getting financing from a studio, you know, getting a job at, at, a, at a production company, like figuring out some way where someone was going to give you permission to make something we live in a permissionless world when it comes to creativity. That's a gift. That's the reason why we have our career. Um, and when we upload every Monday, we don't have to check with anyone, right? We just press upload. But that also on the flip side, we live in a world where no one's going to give you permission to take a break. No one says, you know, we're, we're, we're the founders of our company. You know, it's terrifying to take a break on YouTube to say, Hey, we'll take the next two weeks off. You know, you have a lot of fear around loss of, of, of relevancy. You have a lot of fear around losing this career that you worked so hard to build. So I would say the trend I think we'll start to see is creators potentially moving into seasonal content and adopting that from, you know, traditional media saying, you know, maybe I'll, I'll make 10 episodes and then I'll have a four week break after that. Um, I think we're moving into a space where instead of explosive rapid growth, we're all trying to build long-term sustainable careers. And in order to do that, we have to start implementing opportunities for us to take breaks, opportunities for us to look not only one year out, but look 10 years out and say, how does the Colin and Samir show exist 10 years out? And maybe we start building into a world where we have six marquee interviews and then we're on break for, for six weeks. And that happens four times a year. You know, that could be the format in 10 years. Um, but I think that's something that we're going to start to see. And I think amongst all creators, um, you know, everyone's trying to solve how this becomes a more sustainable career and how we don't just look out at our YouTube upload schedule and say, it's just indefinite. It's just indefinite. All of this is just, in, you know, infinite. I could, I could grow to infinite amount of subscribers. I could, uh, you know, be doing more tomorrow. I could be uploading more videos. I could be generating more viewership. Um, and I think building more sustainability into our careers. And I think in order to sustain those gaps, 
that you take when you go seasonal, creators are going to have to rely on really strong communities. Samir and I always talk, it seems like one of the most sought after hires right now is a community manager because those community managers who keep the discord active, that's what actually allows a lot of creators to take a break when their community is sort of talking to each other, keeping active because the YouTube comments, TikTok comments, reels, that's not the best place for a community to hang out because it's, it's, it's also just kind of ephemeral, right? It comes and goes with waves. But when you have places like Discord, you can open up, you can open it up every day and the community's there. So I think as creators go seasonal, they're going to need to also focus on what does their community look like? Where does it live? Who's in charge of keeping it active while they're away? Yeah, no, as a member of a couple of like creator Discord communities, it seems like it can be really hard to keep those being active. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes or break them. And then even like the seasonality part, I mean, you all hit on this in the Emmer Chamberlain video, but like there's an aspect of that of like the platforms supporting creators being able to take those breaks have that seasonality because um i think colin you're the one who said it in the video of like the algorithm is the audience and i think you were even quoting someone with i was quoting patty galloway there There on twitter yeah there we go awesome colin samir thanks so much for coming on the show really enjoyed speaking with both of you thanks tim thanks And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode.